Welcome to the Rappaport Diamond Podcast, and now your host, Avi Kravitz. Welcome to the Rappaport Diamond Podcast. We're publishing a little off schedule this week due to the Jewish holiday season, but from here on, we'll be back to our regular timetable, publishing an episode every two weeks. I think it was worth the wait, however. We had a lot of fun on this episode in which I chat with acting editor of Rapport magazine and seasoned industry journalist Rachel Taylor. We cover a range of topics, including the state of jewelry retail heading into the holiday season, Tiffany & Co's tie-up with Beyonce, the genderless jewelry trend, gender equality in the industry, De Beers leadership shakeup, and the list goes on. It's an action-packed episode, and we gain some really useful insights from Rachel, and I even offer one or two opinions of my own. So please enjoy this episode of the podcast. Hi, Rachel. It's so great to have you back on the podcast. Welcome back. And uh, now you're part of the Rapport family, so things have settled, I think, uh, as you're filling in for, for Sonia. How are things going? Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been really good, actually. I think I'm definitely getting into the swing of things now. I think when we did the last podcast, it was all very brand new. But no, it's great to settle into the team and understand a bit more about how everyone works. And yeah, it's, it's really good fun. Um, that's great. And we're, we're having fun with you as well. And um, I, I, don't, I don't think you're a stranger to, to podcasts and webinars, though, as, as we've seen you through industry presentations in the last few years. So, uh, so I don't think this is completely new to you, but it's good to have you nevertheless. Yeah, I've done a few podcast before but it's it's great it's really nice that you do a regular podcast I think that's brilliant it's always something that I've thought about doing elsewhere so it's actually really nice to kind of be taken into into your world and see how you do it and learn a bit more right and I mean we generally we're looking at the news and what's been going on in the industry and across the trade it's starting to pick up the, the last podcast that I did with Joshua we were kind of racking our brains for topics it was a sort of the end of the summer and now we're really seeing a pickup of announcements a, a pickup of activity within the industry and so I guess it's a seasonal thing that uh, that happens as we approach now the important holiday season. What is your impression at the moment of the retail scene in Europe where you're based in London and sitting from afar as I do um, looking at the US it seems there's this sort of depends who you are on how the holidays is going to pan out. Yeah I think there's a lot of positivity in the market. I think we've had quite a few results coming through recently that have suggested that everyone's having quite a good third quarter at least you know we've got LVMH came out with a good set of sales results that said that Tiffany has been having quite a good time and there's been a few stories of positivity like that especially at the top end it seems in the big luxury groups that seem to be doing quite well I think the festive period on the other hand might be slightly different I think there's definitely a lot of caution around that I think probably both in the US and in Europe you know we've got the cost of living crisis and I think that's very much on everyone's minds as we go into this festive season which usually would deliver a good set of sales but I wonder if perhaps maybe we've all enjoyed the summer enjoyed spending in the summer have been putting off these worries and kind of assigning them to the last quarter of the year and whether perhaps people are going to start tightening their belts and it maybe won't be well we've had a good summer and good results are coming out now, whether it's going to be a slightly more difficult festive period. And I think people are definitely worried about that. And I think probably rightly so. Yeah. And um, we do tend to look at those um, sort of higher end brands that are showing incredible growth. I mean, uh, LVMH was, their jewelry was up, I think, 25% in the third quarter. And we maybe forget that that's not a representation of the, the greater industry. It's a very specific segment, but it is encouraging, at least, an indication that people have money to spend. 
spend on that higher end. But then you get to the lower end, and it seems that there is that caution, both in Europe and certainly in China, extending to the United States about the the cost of living and the effect that inflation will have on on discretionary spending. But I would imagine as well that the retailers are already starting to see um, and get an indication of how the holiday season is going as consumers are already starting to shop for the season. Um, A lot of retailers are considering October sales already as part of their holiday count. Yeah, I think especially if you are a jeweler that works on bespoke commissions, you know, now is really sort of, you know, cutoff times for bespoke creations or anything tailored. It really is the end of this month. So I would say for most people, unless you've got a really fast turnaround. So yeah, I think it is starting now. But then we've also got Black Friday to think about, which has increasingly become important in the jewellery world. You know, it used to just be for tech and electronics, but now every year more and more we see jewellers offering discounts. So I wonder if people are naturally now tuned into waiting for Black Friday to see if they can get a discount, especially if they are looking to make a significant purchase. And I think that's definitely become a bigger part as much as, you know, most jewellers that I speak to don't like this promotion and they don't see it as a luxury event. But at the same time, when you definitely have high street jewellers who will engage with it and online jewellers who will engage with it, it it kind of drags the rest of the industry into it. Um, And if not, you know, the consumer mindset does feel a little bit now like we're tuned in to wait for that before, you know, seriously starting shopping, I think. And as always, it just does seem as well, while you've got kind of organised shoppers perhaps starting now, whenever I speak to retailers when we talk about Christmas buying, you know, every year it seems to be getting later and later and later and people leaving it to the last minute. So it depends Will we have that last minute rush, which is what I think makes people so nervous. You know, it is that kind of, you're sort of almost relying as well on that last minute rush. But now this year it's, is it actually going to materialize or are we just, you know, is it just going to be a slightly quieter season? Right. Well, I I think uh, like in every household, there are different personality types amongst the the greater consumer population. There are also, uh, you know, personality types, those who plan ahead well in advance and are shopping already in October and those who have forgotten that they have to buy a gift, uh, you know, for the the holidays and rush to buy at the last minute. And so I think we do it. Avi, who are you? Who am I? (laughs) Which one are you? I'm, I'm, I'm definitely I'm definitely last minute, so I'm just curious as to which group you fall into. Yeah, um, well, when you mentioned Black Friday, I was going to say that it's always been my dream to go to a Walmart with a video camera and to witness the uh, the rush of the doors opening at, on Black Friday. But I don't think you have that anymore. I think I'm a bit of both. I, I think I'm, I'm kind of middle of the road. I think I might have a bit of a type A personality, which would be a head planning. <laughs> yeah, maybe you've got a bit of both. Yeah. But I think, Rachel, you know from my deadlines that I'm, I'm kind of last minute as well. Good intention. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. I mean, on that Black Friday point, it would be an interesting thing to, or survey to do amongst jewellers if Black Friday is as important as it used to be, because my feeling is that it's been spread out across the full weekend, firstly, you know, through to Cyber Monday, etc. And also the focus on, or, or, or the, the, the boom of online sales through COVID also sort of diminished Black Friday's importance. And, and so the whole online shopping enables people to plan more and also for retail to promote more spread out. Um, you know, and you have these sort of days like Amazon Prime Day, etc. that um, 
that also kind of diminished the importance of Black Friday. So I'm, so I'm not sure. Maybe it's a, maybe the jewelers are specifically, it's becoming kind of industry specific in, in a way. Another question I would like to add to that survey, this mythical survey, is just how important Christmas is now for jewelers. I wonder if that is, you know, historically that was, you know, kind of the majority of your revenue is done then. But I wonder now if with the rise of self-gifting, with perhaps, I don't know, people spreading things out over the year whether Christmas is as big and as important commercial event as it once was my feeling is perhaps for jewelers it isn't as important but that's kind of you know and and I think we had actually in the October issue of Rapport within the market reports I think there was discussion of that as well whether it was kind of less important or whether it, it wasn't quite as big a delivery as it has been and jewelers are managing to spread those sales over the year slightly more so I think that'd be an interesting question to raise anyway. Yeah, I mean, we, you know, I think it was always said that one third of retail is done over the November, December period. Then if you think about it, it's the 12 months in the year. So what's that one, one sixth of the, of the year. So you're doing a third of your sales in one sixth of the year period and extending that through to October now. But it's a, I think it's, you know, that's been a question that's been on the industry's mind for for some time now, especially as that female self-purchasing gains so, so much more importance. And I think another question to add to the survey would be, you know, the the level of the level of self-purchases that make up those those sales. Are people self-gifting more as well? You know, sort of saving up through the year so that they can give themselves a nice um, a nice little uh, treat at the end of, of the year with a bonus that they might get, you know, etc. So it's, there's all these sort of cultural dynamics that are shaping the the industry as well so um so yeah and, and we are seeing some changes as well in how companies are approaching the consumer mindset and i think certainly you know we mentioned tiffany and they've put out a very interesting campaign teaming up again with beyonce in the latest video clip and it's very different it's very different i think since lvmh have taken over tiffany that we've seen a different sort of energy about the company which i think is much more sort of risque and um, kind of interesting and kind of sexy as well. What were your thoughts on that um, on that Beyonce video? If you if you did have a chance to to watch it, yeah, I absolutely loved it. I mean, I'm I'm quite a big fan of her new album as well. But for me, it was totally joyous. I mean, I don't know if if anybody watched the TV series Pose, but I think Beyonce has definitely been watching it. You know, it's very kind of inspired by that whole kind of dancehall movement and the celebration and the excitement and just the the gen- fluidity as well that comes with that it's it's very it feels very fresh as well and a sense of excitement and a sense of freedom that they've brought to this video um, and that's through the music that's through the dancing that's through you know the, the people that they've chosen to be in it and I thought it was so interesting as well that they've teamed that with quite classic Tiffany jewellery you know this is very retro it does go back to that kind of Studio 54 New York era as well you know it's got that whole kind of um I mean the song it's itself as well you know it's, it's kind of that got that disco vibe but the jewellery that they've chosen you know it's quite classic so they've kind of they've got these um pieces they've got like Slumberger pieces they've got just a Tiffany engagement ring as well you know that kind of classic Tiffany setting and then you know and they've got the hardware necklace which Beyonce 
Beyonce wears, which, you know, is a newer piece, but still, you know, quite recognisably Tiffany. They haven't gone for these brand new pieces. So it's interesting that they're celebrating designs that already exist, but they're presenting it in this new way. Sort of anyone can wear it. You know, it doesn't matter, you know, how you want to express it. That's up to you. And I think it's just got this real feeling of optimism and celebration and acceptance. It's quite fresh and new, but also I, I being replicated across the industry. It's, it's nice to see that. Well, what stood out for me is that actually you don't necessarily notice the jewellery in your first watch. You you have to kind of be a jewellery connoisseur to look look for it. And initially, you don't necessarily realise that it's a Tiffany ad until, uh, you know, Tiffany pops up at the right at the end um, with, I think it's, what's it called? Um, Lose Yourself in Love, I think that's the, the slogan. And so, you know... It, us being in the industry, we would go back and start looking for those pieces and taking them out. But the average consumer won't necessarily notice them on that first viewing. And I think that's very powerful branding. It's a very fun video, high energy, as you said, touching on those sort of gender fluid, very modern, being part of a very modern conversation, but also that throwback to um, Studio 54. And so it really is putting Tiffany, associating the Tiffany brand with that, with those um, sort of topics that are in the conversation at the moment. I think you're right. It's, it's, it feels like entertainment as opposed to an advert. And I think when we talk about getting new generations interested in jewellery, you know, I think if you ask them if they wanted to see an advert about jewellery or if they want to look at jewellery and that's not something they're already into, the answer is probably no. But if you present them with a Beyonce video that's got kind of amazing artistic direction, it's fun to watch. But subliminally, it's about jewellery, you know, is that that's quite a clever way of reaching out to those new consumers. So it'll be interesting to see if the rest of the industry takes the cue from uh, from, from Tiffany. Um, because I, I, I do hope that we don't get stuck again in the cycle of those boring sort of couple ads of giving jewellery and the cheesy music in the background. Um, the industry has been sort of shying away <laughs> shying away from that a bit, but this is really taking it to, to another level, I think. And really just, um, you know, it could be any product that it's advertising with very sort of uh, interesting and, and edgy way, you know hats off to Tiffany. And sort of staying on that sort of gender fluid theme, we, we have seen more companies sort of introducing unisex collections to their lines. And Tiffany & Co being one of them with their lock collection. It's a collection of, of mainly bangles, I think, which are I think it's kind of aimed more at couples that they can buy these pieces together, but it certainly has that sort of gender fluid edge. Is that something you've seen in other companies across the industry? Is it a trend that we're taking into the holiday season? I think it's a massive trend. I think it's one of the biggest trends in jewellery across all brands. I think if you, the majority of brands that you look at now will have at least one collection that is either genderless or just simply isn't defined we see marketing now where we have male models female models gender neutral models some that's just quite ambiguous and I, I think that's it's really going forward and again it, it's about the industry stopping dictating to consumers what they should consume and instead stepping back a little bit and allowing people to have fun with jewellery and explore it and decide how it works for them. That's how I think the industry is going to move forward. I think rather than saying, you know, here is a ring for a man to buy a woman, this is what it will look like. Now it's almost like designers are even big brands, you know, we've seen big brands do genderless collections as well. It's just about creating and almost 
handing that decision making process over to the consumer and I think it's really exciting that that's happening but yeah I think that's definitely a huge trend you'll see it across marketing you see it across the way collections are being designed you see it across sizing so I think one of the things perhaps people don't necessarily think about when they're creating collections that aren't gender specific it's not just about the design or look of it it's the fact that if you create a genderless ring you've got to think about does that scale up to a man's hand as well as scaling down to a woman's hand and the intricacies like that but I think this is a massive trend and something that will continue as we go forward right and as you say we're seeing it across all marketing um, and the big brands especially De Beers put out a genderless collection um, this last month as well in the last few weeks so it's, it's certainly something to to look out for and I think it also pushes the boundaries of men we are seeing men embrace um, jewelry and more feminine jewelry as well. We see, you know, on the red carpets, a lot of men wearing pearls, for example, has become kind of a trend as well. And so it'll be interesting to see how mainstream that becomes. I think you can already see it. I mean, just from anecdotal conversations that I've had with, you know, retailers, kind of everyday small retailers, just perhaps with one or two stores, you know, they are selling to men in a way that they weren't before. And they're selling quite high-end pieces. It's it's really interesting to see that happening. But also, if you look at the e-tailers, such as Nesporte, if you look at their male version, Mr. Porter, if you look at the jewellery section now, they have got some serious jewellery in there. And they're also doing specific collaborations with designers like Suzanne Kalan, they're doing collaborations to create specifically fine jewellery collections for their male customers. So I think in a way where it was perhaps something that was quite trendy before or a fun thing to talk about, it's actually translating into sales now. And as we've seen from the watch market, when men are ready to spend on luxury, they're happy to spend a lot of money. So potentially, this is a really lucrative, essentially new consumer base for jewellery. So it's quite exciting. Yeah, it's, it's time for male self-purchases to gain momentum again, <laughs> right? I'll have to start a, a collection of my own, so we'll see how that goes. But um, that's really at the at the consumer level. But with, within the trade, there, there is a um, school of thought that feels the, the industry still has a long way to go in terms of, and this is moving away from the from the actual jewelry and into the sort of the more corporate mindset that the industry um, needs to have more a better representation of women within the industry and do more to promote gender equality within the industry. We ran an article on diamonds.net that was authored by Iris um, van der Wieken, who's the, the managing director of the Watch and Jewelry Initiative 2030, I think is part of the name. It's a new initiative by many of the brands to promote some of the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And one of those is gender equality. And Iris made a call out to the industry to really focus on promoting gender equality, saying that we're behind and sort of lagging on this, on this issue. And so it got me thinking, um, you know, is the industry so behind and so lagging? And is this, a, is you know, among all the issues that we can tackle as an industry and that we should embrace, is this a priority? You know, we are seeing greater female representation on the corporate side of things, on boards, etc. So I'm, I'm not sure. I'm in two minds about, um, you know, whether I agree with Iris, if, if this is a, a mantle that the, the industry should take on as a priority. Yeah, I, I think definitely should be a priority and we should be moving towards having more women in powerful positions within the industry and I think there are being steps taken towards doing that such so, as you know De Beers um, they have their UN Women Partnership so in 2017 they committed to invest 
$3 million in programs that support women coming either. I think it's split in between supporting women sort of in the countries that they work in, but also it's encouraging a lot of women to get into engineering positions. So they do things such as they fund university places to take women into courses that will eventually lead to careers in mining. The Natural Diamond Council has been doing a lot to market not just women as consumer, but women as working within the industry. So they've done some nice films recently on some diamond producers, Demexon and KP Sangvi, which are have facilities which are led majority by women working there. So there is there does feel like there's a push to increase visibility, increase opportunity. So I think that's definitely something that's in motion. But at the end of the day, you know, if you're sat in a board meeting, I mean, majority, most of the time you would look around and it would be a very expected profile, shall we say, of slightly older men around the table. And that is the way it is, you know, but I I, I think going beyond this as well personally what I feel you know when we talk about championing women I think there's amazing women in the diamond industry in the jewelry industry who have these great positions already and now to me while we should definitely still keep championing for that I, I think we need to move beyond that as we've spoken about with marketing and design and everything moving towards more genderless I think we should kind of it feels almost a little bit dated to be talking about female empowerment you know and I wonder if it's just about do we kind of empower all genders should it be about increasing diversity of all kinds at these board level positions and do we move towards that as well while still definitely you know championing female-led causes as well yeah i would agree with that and and i think you clarified or said more eloquently what i was thinking regarding the women's empowerment um, and gender equality um but certainly when you look at the the trade organizations there is that profile that's sort of you know typical profile that we that we've gotten used to over the years and there's definitely room for more diversity within those organizational structures at the very least and so i would i would agree with you there so rachel i think let's um spend a few minutes before we close up just looking at some of the interesting news items that have come our way in the last week or two in particular we got an announcement from de beers that there's a change of leadership on the cards at the beginning of next year and so bruce cleaver is going to be stepping down from his role as ceo he'll be coming the the co-chairman of De Beers and Al Cook, who is an industry unknown, will be taking that role. And it's a, it's an interesting move for De Beers. And I wasn't too surprised that Bruce was stepping down from the role. He's been there for six years. But I think it is interesting that they're bringing someone from outside the industry into the into the position. Um, Al Cook is from the energy sector, I think. He works at the moment at Equinor, which is a Norwegian oil, I don't think they produce, but uh, or, or exploration company. company. I forget which, but he's going to be a diamond guy. And so hopefully that will bring in some fresh ideas, I guess, to to the industry or a different style of management to De Beers. Um, was it surprising to you, the, the, the announcement by De Beers? No, I don't think so. I mean, I think you're right that it's it's interesting to see the diamond industry hiring from outside, definitely. But I, I think that's that can be a good thing you know I mean obviously there's the hurdles of needing to understand the intricacies of the industry how it works but at the same time I always think it's you know it's quite good to look outside your own industry as you say when you're looking for fresh ideas and and also sometimes you know I think especially our industry can sometimes become stuck in its ways for no other reason than 
because that's the way we've always done it. And perhaps for somebody to come outside and take a little look around and perhaps question why some of these things are happening, I think that can only be a positive. But yeah, I'd be interesting to know what the internal conversations within De Beers are like right now with the news coming out. It'd be interesting to know what they think. Yeah, um, it seems like the it's not as dramatic as we we would have liked it to be as journalists, perhaps. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know that. But there there are there has been um, there are some other changes um, taking place. You know, in terms of personnel, that Neil Ventura, who who is a long time De Beers executive, he was in charge of the auction business and oversaw a lot of the innovation products that De Beers was putting out through De Beers Ignite. He's leaving the company and being replaced by Ryan Perry, who's an internal appointment. And there, there are a few other sort of um, executive roles that are, are changing. So it seems that this is now the end of a cycle at De Beers. And so they'll be looking to sort of have some have some of those fresh ideas come into the into play. I think that's almost interesting that it's it's a spate of change as opposed to, you know, any one of these people going. That does feel, because I mean, usually, you know, it could be coincidence, but often there tends to be something lurking in the background that causes these major changes. And that we tend to speculate about. But, uh, yeah, <laughs> that's part of the job. He's not really going, is he? <laughs> Absolutely. And then the other the other sort of news items that came my way, um, I don't know what you've been thinking about, but there's been a sort of a spate of beautiful beautiful big diamonds that are, are have been sold at auction or are coming onto auction, particularly by Sotheby's. The William Pink Star, which is a 11.15 carat, um, fancy vivid pink, beautiful diamond sold for $58 million, um, sort of chunk change for us at Sotheby's. What, what was your guess? Were you expecting were you expecting more or less? Did you get a bargain is what I'm asking you? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I did quite well, but <laughs> I mean, I, I never know with these. You know, sometimes they absolutely exceed the pre-sale estimates sometimes they don't sell you know that that's happened in recent years as well so it's been I think what's been really interesting with sort of yeah the Williamson Pink Star you know they described it as a bidding frenzy um it's interesting to me that I think that many people have 50 million dollars sitting in the bank ready to you know throw at a diamond I mean unless the bidding frenzy is just two people I don't know but it's very interesting that there seems to be it seems to be quite a buoyant market you know people are looking to spend and with the financial markets the way they are it's perhaps not that surprising that investors are looking at hard luxury items that are a little bit more of a safe bet perhaps than stocks or shares or even just kind of savings and investments with everything that's going on and people feel very uncertain in the financial markets just now whereas diamonds as we know are a fairly safe bet so perhaps that's the reason behind the frenzy yeah particularly on the on these high end pieces it's a it's an excellent point i think um perhaps the volatility that we're seeing and the and the caution or uncertainty that we that we're seeing amongst um you know within the economy is playing into that I think that's probably a factor, but it seems that this type of stone always eventually sells for these sort of prices. And and perhaps Sotheby's set their pre-sale estimate low on purpose to exceed expectations, keep your hopes high and your expectations low type of thing, you know, but it was um, certainly exciting news for, for the industry. And then we are approaching that sort of November cycle of the various magnificent or uh, jewel sales at Sotheby's Christie's and Sotheby's again has a, um, 303 carat polished yellow diamond said to be among the largest polished diamonds out there which is going up for auction by Sotheby's and 
then they've also got the De Beers Blue collection. There. I love the, the JCK headline that, um, that announced that saying that De Beers gives Sotheby's the blues. Um, so kudos to Rob for that and shout out to him for, for that. But um, certainly we're seeing more of these type of stones coming to market again, which I think is exciting. It is. I mean, I don't know if everybody's seen the picture of that 300 carat yellow, but they've got an amazing publicity shot with the woman just holding it between her thumb and forefinger and it's absolutely gigantic I mean I, I think even Elizabeth Taylor would have struggled to pull that one off so it'll be interesting to see what happens to it when it does find a buyer and actually and it was a recut it was a recut from a 407 carat stone that they improved they, they brought in a sort of improved the the yellow color of it made it a, a deeper it's a it's a brownish yellow that they describe it as and the image that they sent with it is very striking because it sort of blurs the the woman in the background holding it and so it really is front and center and um, it is massive it's um, it is quite a piece so we'll see how that goes that's uh, so i think that those were the standouts for me i don't know if there's anything else on your mind that have stood out over the last week or two it doesn't have to be but as we said at the beginning of our chat it certainly is picking up and there, there are some interesting announcements coming through yeah, it definitely feels like a more exciting time. I think everybody's, you know, the, the sort of say the August lull and the knock-on effect of that seems to have been over and yeah, everything's picking back up. And I think we're going to see some, hopefully some more exciting news coming out over the next couple of months. Great. I look forward to that. Rachel, thanks so much for, for joining us and uh, for your insights on the industry and what's happening out there. It's been a um, really enjoyable discussion with you. Thank you. And you, thanks for having me, Abby. Yeah, we'll do it again soon, I'm sure. So, um, Thanks, everyone, for listening and have a great week ahead. See you soon. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Rathport Diamond podcast. For more discussions, news and analysis about the diamond industry, visit us on diamonds.net, follow Rathport Group on Instagram, and follow Rathport on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn. And don't forget to subscribe to get future episodes.